0: Hey there. Welcome to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And you have found us at Claim the Stage. This podcast is all about public speaking. We talk about the fear of it, the skills, language storytelling, voice, everything you could possibly think of around this subject. And today's episode is no different. While Seth and I do talk a bit about other topics, we talk kind of extensively about his public speaking experience, what he still worries about, and advice he has if you'd like to be remarkable on stage. But before we jump into today's interview, I want to share a couple other things with you. One thing I introduced in our last episode is sharing reviews on the show and giving out copies of my book as a way of saying thank you. So today's featured review is from Hogfield. <laughs> And the review is, Angela's top five lessons of 2018 episode was a great summary of lessons she's learned and encouraged me to make my own list. Thanks for sharing honestly what's going on for you, Angela, and for giving me ideas for what I would list as my lessons. So Hogfield, if you're listening, email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com with your address and you win a copy of my book, The Secret Life of Speaking Up Prequel, 30 Tiny Speaking Adventures. This book, it's a very tiny book. <laughs> it gives you 30 different ways to practice using your voice and get more comfortable speaking up besides doing public speaking. So if you're interested in public speaking, but it terrifies you and you want to get better at speaking, this is a great way to just practice using your voice in different places in life. So you can learn more about the book. And if you're excited about what you're hearing about right now, and you want to get your own copy, you can go to speakersisterhood.com slash tiny. But Hogfield, make sure your- that you send me your address and I will get you a copy of my book. If you would like to be in the running for a copy of my book, leave a review on iTunes and you may hear it read on an upcoming episode. All right, today's episode is sponsored by Speaking School for Women. This online course is for women who want the steps and guidance to becoming a professional speaker. It's relaunching March 6th in just a couple weeks with tons of bonuses, and I'll have a special free mini course coming out the week before that will teach you the top five secrets to becoming a paid speaker so you can get some helpful tips and also decide whether or not Speaking School is for you. I've taught Speaking School five times over the last three years and found that Students have a lot of the same questions, so hopefully this mini-course will address those for you. And if you want to watch the video version of this mini-course, you can go to speakersisterhood.com mini-course, and the link is also in the show notes. This free mini-course is also going to be right here on this podcast, so it's up to you. If you like watching video to learn, then you should go to the mini-course site and uh, sign up to get the, the videos, but if you prefer to listen like because you just like walking around the house and listening to the podcast, then do nothing and it will just show up for you. Um, if you're already on my mailing list, you'll automatically get the links to the video coming out on March 1st. And Like I said, you can listen to it right here, um, March 1st, 3rd and 5th. Our next sponsor is told video original thoughtful storytelling for your brand here to help you with your next step in marketing a meaningful video, let your story out into the world and get it told learn more at toldvideo.com. contact told before March 1st for 15% off a video project. Okay, before we jump into today's interview, I just want to say a couple things about what it was like to interview my hero, (laughs) Seth Godin. Um, What is it like to interview your hero? It was terrifying. (laughs) I think I blacked out. (laughs) I was so sweaty. And afterwards, I felt like I could run to Canada. I had so much adrenaline in my body. I walked out of the room I was recording in, and I was like, I don't know, what do you do after interviewing Seth Godin? Like, nothing matters. I don't know. Nothing nothing seems important anymore. (laughs) It was a really weird half hour. But I bounced back. And when, if you listened to the last episode, episode 110 with Mark Metry, at the end of that episode, I said, maybe you'll hear Seth Godin on the next episode. And as soon as I finished uh, recording that, I jumped on my computer and I emailed Seth and I told him about my podcast and I told him about Speaker Sisterhood and I asked him if he wanted to come on the show. And 10 minutes later, he emailed me back and he said, yes, I'd love to. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I mean, yes, but this is so scary. So he, he he and I did the interview and I had written a bunch of questions beforehand which I'm really thankful I did because I, I found myself so... My mind was just so blank for so much of it that I was like, just stick to the questions, don't pass out. But anyway, <laughs> I highly recommend... Asking your your heroes if you can interview them or talk to them or take them out to lunch. It, it is, it's pretty scary, but it's also really exciting. And a- after the fact, I'm like, he's just a person. But I got myself a little worked up, I'll be honest with you. So I hope you enjoy today's interview with Seth. I asked him a lot of questions that I've been wanting to ask him for a long time. And I make a huge announcement <laughs> that I have not shared yet on the podcast. So stay tuned for all of that. I hope you get some good insights from today's episode. And hopefully, Inspires you to email your hero. Enjoy. Well, thanks, thanks for so much for coming on my podcast today. I have some questions here that I've been dying to ask you for years, and there's only like seventy-five of them. Okay, <laughs> so should... my bad. <laughs> right. I've always wanted to ask you this question, and and now I have two reasons to do so. One, I'm I'm just really curious about it. And two, one of the key elements of what we do in Speaker Sisterhood is writing speeches to deliver in the clubs. So coming up with topics for a speech is a challenge for a lot of the members because it's it's hard to kind of figure out what's interesting to talk about. So my question is, how do you decide what to write about since you put out a blog every day? And what's your process from finding the idea to writing and sharing it?
1: Well, I'm going to question the premise of the entire thing. It's ridiculous to approach this as to say you don't have anything interesting to talk about. I think that most people who are uninteresting are uninteresting for one of two reasons. They're selfish or they are afraid, and they're related. So given that the people in the room have voluntarily come to hear you speak, your obligation is to voluntarily go to them to say something that interests them and that means you're trying to educate you're trying to make a change happen and it doesn't matter what you're talking about so pick any topic you want right now and i could tell you something interesting about it it doesn't matter what matters is that you chose to be interesting
0: how do you start with that if you don't really know who's in the audience
1: Well, you should know who's in the audience. It's selfish to not know who's in the audience. So if I'm going to give a talk to the people who own Goodyear Tire and Rubber uh, auto repair shops, I know who's there. If I'm giving a talk to CEOs in Boston, I know who's there. You don't need to know their name. You need to know what they believe and what they fear.
0: True. Well, you've been speaking professionally for a while. What have you learned about what makes a speaker good and what makes a speaker remarkable?
1: Okay, so what remarkable means is worth making a remark about. That's all. And so a great example is what Tony Robbins did to launch his career, which is while he was talking, his assistant went out to the parking lot of the Holiday Inn with 200 pounds of charcoal and made a huge pit and put charcoal across the pit. And at the end of the talk, Tony would roll up his pant legs, take off his shoes and socks, and walk across the pit of charcoal, and people at the event would follow him. And so on Monday, when you went back to work and someone said, what'd you do this weekend? You had a great story to tell. That's remarkable. Now, remarkable doesn't have to be a gimmick, but it has to be something that the teller benefits from telling, that there's something selfish for them in telling about it, not because it's going to help your career or your nonprofit, but because it will help their status or their role in the community. That's different than what is it to give a good talk. And a good talk is simply a talk that the recipient decides was worth the time and effort it took to listen to it. There's so many versions of a good talk. So, I mean, just look at the top 100 TED talks. They're so different, but they're all there because someone thought they were worth the time to watch.
0: Do you have a process for putting together your speeches or is it always different?
1: Well, I am a terrible role model because I've given (laughs) a thousand speeches over the course of 30 years. You will not be one of those people. So you don't get to do it like I do it. Um, In my case, I have a, a base of three or 400 slides. I pick the 175 I'm going to use. And those slides, most of which have no words on them, remind me of which story I want to tell. Some of my stories last a minute. Some last two minutes. Some need three slides to tell. Some need five slides to tell. And I don't memorize it. I just know what the slide is queuing me up to talk about. And I do. I am there to tell a story that the audience, after they hear it, will be glad I told them.
0: Is there a reason why there are no words on your slides?
1: There's a really good reason. I invented this, (laughs) and I've written about this. Uh, PowerPoint was invented to help engineers cover topics in technical meetings. It, It has no brain science behind it. And if you use it the way Microsoft wants you to use it, you will use it wrong. What we know is that people have a part of their brain that processes visuals, a part of their brain that processes words on a screen, part of their brain that processes stories. So if I show you a picture and then I tell you a story about it, I'm activating two parts of your brain. But if I put my notes on the screen and just show you the words, you're either going to read the words or you're going to listen to my story. But you can't do both at the same time. Plus, I've then given up the chance to show you a picture, and that picture reminds you of a feeling, and then my story doubles down on that feeling. So my pictures aren't pictures of the story, they're pictures that help put you in the mood to hear the story.
0: I love that. Is there anything you still worry about when you're speaking?
1: Well, the thing I worry about the most, which I am having a lot of trouble getting over, is being sabotaged by the unprepared, but possibly well-meaning tech people. Uh, Because I know how to do this better, and I know how to do it worse. But if I show up, and the room is filled with tables, and the room is too big, and they don't have two screens, they only have one, which means that my slides will be up, but not my face on the other screen, and I don't have a wireless lavalier microphone, now I'm like, Six points down, and it's not even halftime yet. That's a lot of extra work. Mm-hmm. So, every time before I get on stage, I've worked myself up into a lather. Did they read my ride, or are they going to torture me again? Um, but I shouldn't do that because it's out of my control after I've done everything I can. Um, and then when I'm on stage, uh, I worry about the last 3% of what I'm capable of doing because. I'm the only person on earth who's heard all my presentations and I know that no one else knows what I'm going to do exactly next. So I have to bring that last reserve of energy because that's what people are going to remember is that I showed up for them. And so I pay attention to that.
0: Yeah. You're so good at showing up for people. I see public speaking as an act of self-discovery because every time I do it, I, I learned something new about myself. And I wonder if that resonates with you at all. What have you learned about yourself through public speaking? Well, I think public
1: speaking plus blogging equals no place to hide. It makes it much harder to be a hypocrite. It makes it much easier to be clear about who you are and what you believe. That if you stand up and talk about how important family is, and then 20 minutes later, someone calls you on the phone and you don't take the call, well, that's got to sit weird with you. So I like the fact that checking in with 10,000 people at a time keeps me honest and ahead of myself because I am listening to my talk. And if I don't agree with it, I'm not going to say it. And if I do agree with it, it's good to be reminded of what I believe.
0: You've influenced millions of people to start businesses and do work that matters. What does that feel like? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: am pretty sure it's not millions, but okay. I'll keep a a zero there. Um, You know, for a really long time, people said I was clueless for a really long time. I had no traction for a really long time. I felt uh, like I was just, out of my league. And now mostly I feel responsibility that if I could do it for 10 people, why can't I do it for 20? If I can turn on the lights in one room, why can't I turn on the lights in another room? And so that's a big motivator for me.
0: I once had a a boss who told me it's just business. It's not personal. And when he said that to me, I had no idea how to make sense of what he was saying. And Uh because, (laughs) because we're all people trying to help each other through the stuff that we make. And when I started to read your stuff, everything you said made total sense to me. And I've appreciated that you take this like sort of human approach to marketing and business and sales. And I wonder what you think of that comment. It's just business. It's not personal because I feel like I'm still struggling with it. And he said that to me like 10 years ago.
1: Well, you should have quit the next day.
0: I pretty um, much did. <laughs> good.
1: And you should identify this person by name whenever you <laughs> can. Because the thing is, that is a form of hiding. It's a form of letting yourself off the hook. It's a selfish, short-term, uh, antisocial, social anti-cultural bias that we need less of. And people who say it out loud are saying it out loud because they want cover, because they want to be surrounded by other people who are willing to not take it personally. But if you can't take what you do all day, 10 hours a day, five days a week, 70 years in a row personally, what can you take personally? I I just don't buy it.
0: I don't either. Um, you you started a lot of your own businesses. At this point, how do you decide which projects or ideas are worth investing your time in and which ones to ditch?
1: Yeah, I spent a lot of time on this, more than most people would think, <laughs> because it turns out this is the single best use of your time uh, in the arc of your career, that if you want to go to Boston and you get on a bus that's going to Cleveland, you can stay on that bus for a really long time and you are never gonna to get to Boston. <laughs> so spend the extra five minutes at the station making sure it's the right bus. And that involves strategy, it involves empathy, it involves understanding marketing and finance, it involves realizing uh, what levers you have and what resources you have. It's a super complicated question. And the wrong way to answer it is, this is my best idea. Cause it's not. And the other wrong way to answer it is I'll make a lot of money doing this Hmm. because those are the businesses that almost never make money.
0: And this is what you cover in your alt MBA program, right?
1: We spend actually more time on this than almost anything, but we never use the word you and I just used.
0: What do you, how do you describe it?
1: We talk about learning to see the world as it is, learning to make decisions and learning to persuade other people to come along. Hmm. And those three things are the skills that you end up using to do the work you just discussed.
0: Hmm. You talk a lot about fear and resistance. What do you do when you get scared? I've wanted to ask you this question for a really long time. Well, I'm glad you got to ask it. (laughs)
1: Um, I view getting scared the way a runner might view getting tired at the end of a race meaning I don't look forward to it, but it's a symptom that I'm doing something right. And if I'm not getting scared, then I'm not doing my best work.
0: I totally agree with that. So when when fear shows up, you just go with it? Or what happens when you notice it? Are you excited by it?
1: Yeah, I'm thrilled by it. And (laughs) um, then I realize I have to dance with it. I can't make it go away but I could probably outlast it. So mostly I'm trying to outlast it.
0: What would you tell someone who's wanting to speak more often, but is just feeling so much fear that they're not able to raise their hand and get up and do it more? Well, first
1: I would give them a high five for being so honest because this is the hardest part that most people don't have the honesty to say that. Hmm. And then the second thing I would do is figure out how to make it a daily habit. If you can for four minutes a day talk to a stranger, it gets easier and easier and easier. And there are lots of ways to do this. You don't have to be on stage at Toastmasters. You can answer customer service calls. You can offer to help people at the train station with directions that it all feels the same because your brain can't tell them apart. And what you're trying to learn how to do, Be generous and educate in real time in public. And if you can keep doing that and doing that and doing that, then once a week, giving a talk at the book group, not so hard. And once a month, doing a talk at your group, not so hard. Because every day, you're training.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the power of practice should not be underappreciated because the more you do it, the more you realize what you're capable of. And I think a lot of it is being able to surprise yourself that you were able to do something that you thought you couldn't do. And then the next time it feels a little easier and it feels like, hey, this I'm actually cut out for this, right?
1: And let's remember, kids learn how to walk and ride a bicycle, not by watching videos, <laughs> not by reading manuals, but by doing it and falling down, it's the only way. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Well, I wanted to share something with you, and I haven't actually shared this on my podcast yet or publicly, but I wanted to ask you for your words of wisdom about it. I am pregnant, and I'm, I'm due in June, and I'm, this is my first child. I'm really excited about it. And I've heard you talk about... Uh, homeschooling your kids, but also sending sending them to public school. And you've shared some of your own parenting thoughts through your blog in the past. And I was wondering if you have any advice for a mom-to-be.
1: I am so happy for this kid and <laughs> so happy for you. What a lucky, lucky kid that's going to be. Thanks. Wow, oh, wow. <laughs> this is fantastic. I am really, I'm just glowing hearing this. Oh. Thank you for sharing that with me.
0: You're welcome.
1: Um, Yeah, I don't talk directly about parenting too much because who made me an expert and because everyone's mileage will vary. Um, But I do think the conventional wisdom and the dominant cultural narrative are almost always not in your interest or your kid's interest. Mm. And so looking for things to be nervous about looking for ways to fit in, looking for doing it the way everyone else is doing it. You know, those things have changed decade after decade for a thousand years. There's no right way to do it, but you've got to make a commitment and have a point of view about the culture you're going to surround your kid with and the expectations that you're going to establish. And that's the best reason to have a kid is because you get, to make the assertion and you get to decide hmm.
0: I feel like there are a lot of parallels between entrepreneurship and parenting and creating a culture within your business and creating a culture within your family being open to anything happening not getting too connected to ex- outcomes and expectations but sort of everyday learning from what comes up would you agree yep. with that?
1: I would <laughs> I mean one of them involves a lot more pooping but yes there. More similar than most people think.
0: <laughs> I, I'm, I've been looking for books about entrepreneurship and parenting, and I haven't really found anything yet, which I'm surprised by because they seem so similar.
1: <laughs> well, except that it's hard to sell a book like that because there aren't that many successful entrepreneurs and the ones who are think they don't need any help parenting. <laughs> and so you already know how to do this. You're not going to do it wrong, and you'll do it great, if you don't take yourself too seriously, but you make this real commitment to being responsible for the cultural expectations you lay on this little kid.
0: Okay. Thanks. I wanted to tell you that you were the first person to ever say it's okay to be weird and I really appreciated and needed to hear that at that time. And that was when I read Purple Cow 15 years ago. And it's what gave me the confidence to eventually quit my job after my boss told me it's it's just business. It's not personal. <laughs> and it helped me to start a business that helped other people like me find jobs that fit them. And that's been a really important foundation for me to continue being weird and sort of shun the non-believers, as you say. And I want to say a giant thank you to you for everything you do and the amount of heart and truth you put into everything you give people. It really shows and it's really important and important for all of us and you're one of my favorite people on the planet and it's a real honor to get to talk to you today. I, I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and answer these questions for my audience that I've been carrying around for the last fifteen years.
1: <laughs> wow. I'm all choked up. You're very kind. Oh thank you for that.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember meeting you in two thousand ten when you launched Lynchpin and you sat down at my table when we had that tribes dinner in Queens and yep. I d- you were so present with everybody and it was so special and it just showed that you really do care about the people you're helping. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced a person that I looked up to who really genuinely cared about us too. And it, it made a huge impact. And I just want to say thank you so much for that.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And, and the Kung Pao tofu was good too.
0: (laughs) It was. Everything was so good. I don't remember the name of that restaurant, but I really appreciated all the food.
1: (laughs) Anyway, thank you for taking the time and for leading and for making a ruckus and for being weird and for having a little tiny baby too <laughs>
0: thank you so much Seth.
1: big hugs we'll see you soon
0: i hope you enjoyed today's interview with seth godin he is one of my favorite people on the planet and i will never forget this interview that's for sure i think i'm still a little sweaty from it <laughs> But anyway, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And like I said, it could be featured on an upcoming episode and you can win a copy of my book, The Secret Life of Speaking Up Prequel, 30 Tiny Speaking Adventures. And uh, if you can think of any guests that you'd like to hear on the show, the sky's the limit at this point. So please feel free to recommend anybody. literally anybody my email is Angela at speaker sisterhood.com and you can find out more about speaker sisterhood and our network of public speaking clubs and speaking school for women at speakersisterhood.com. so uh thanks for listening this has been one of my favorite episodes and um I just want to thank you for tuning in and being part of this podcast journey so as always stop waiting start creating I'll see you next time